Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. On Monday, the special legislative session called by Governor Lee will commence. The session focusing on public safety is a response to the call for increased gun laws after the mass shooting at the Covenant School. In the aftermath of the shooting, the city's police chief told media that the shooter was undergoing treatment for a mental health disorder and that the parents of the shooter believed that their child, quote, should not own weapons. But Tennessee's laws have very few mechanisms to separate potentially dangerous people from their firearms. Over the last few months, WPLN and ProPublica have been investigating a part of the system that's supposed to protect people from guns. Criminal justice reporter Paige Flager finds the laws were not sufficient to protect some victims of domestic violence in Nashville and that dozens died at the hands of perpetrators who were legally prohibited from owning and having a weapon. Michaela Carter felt like she was being hunted. 911, what's the address of your emergency? She and her mother called the police and pulled into the parking lot of the bargain hunt in Antioch. Her mom, Kimberly Jones Bowie, was on the line, explaining to the dispatcher that Carter's estranged husband was seen at a family member's apartment. He's outside walking around with a gun. He seemed to be looking for Carter. We have an order of protection against him, and I'm pretty sure he's looking for my daughter, and he just got out of jail like last week. Under Tennessee law, that order of protection meant he was barred from contacting her, coming near her, or having a gun. And if he violated that order, he should be arrested. He's been posting on Facebook and he's been, he's not even supposed to contact my daughter, but he's been sending her crazy messages. When the police arrived, Carter showed them evidence that her husband was violating the order. But they told her it wasn't enough to pick him up. Looking back now, Carter's mom says officers did not understand the urgency. But they didn't take us seriously for some reason. I don't know if it's because we were black or what, but they didn't take us seriously. A police misconduct investigation found that officers did violate policy. But MMPD declined to comment because the family has since sued. If the officers had offered her shelter, she would have took it. If they had offered her any kind of shelter, she would have took it. Instead, they escorted them home to their sleepy suburban cul-de-sac did a sweep of the yard, then left. Only 10 minutes later, records show that her husband busted down the door and shot Carter. Since 2007, Carter was one of at least 29 people in Nashville killed in domestic violence shootings by someone who was legally barred from having a gun. That's nearly 40% of these shootings, according to an analysis of court records by ProPublica and WPLN. Victims can exhaust legal options to protect themselves, yet there's no trustworthy mechanism to remove a gun from a dangerous person's hands before it's too late. In many of these situations, there is enough information that the person is dangerous. Jenny Charles is an assistant district attorney in Nashville with nearly two decades of experience on domestic violence cases. She says that information alone is not always enough cause to send law enforcement to go search for and remove someone's weapons. It's a matter of will. How many steps are we going to take? Are we going to go get a search warrant? 
And Tennessee's gun laws have made it more difficult for law enforcement and the courts to track illegal gun ownership. The state does not require a permit to carry and doesn't register guns. That makes it difficult to know how many weapons someone has. Tennessee allows private sales without background checks. That opens the door for dangerous people to get firearms. But unless and until the law gives us a mechanism to go in, number one, find out if they purchased firearms and then take those firearms, there's nothing we can do. She says that change needs to come from the legislature, which is taking up guns in a specially called session. But it's looking unlikely that this type of reform will even be discussed. And this fall, the U.S. Supreme Court will take up whether it's constitutional to bar abusers from having guns in the first place. In Carter's case, her estranged husband, James Leggett, was barred for multiple reasons. He had prior felony convictions, and she took out an order of protection against him. It stemmed from an incident one night months before her death. And she comes around the corner, um, and she's like, um, she is beat up. Like, her face is really, really bad. Keandria Jones remembers her sister's head hung low, her long dreads covering her face. The only illumination was from a nearby streetlight. Half of Carter's face was swollen beyond recognition. So that image is an image that, that sticks in my head. Leggett had hit her in the face multiple times with a glass bottle of Jack Daniels, according to court records. I just ran up to her and I gave her a hug and I'm like, come on, you're coming with me. And I told her, you don't have to be scared. She said, I'm like, you don't have to be scared. I'm not going to ever let him hurt you again. Carter's family learned about the extent of the abuse for the first time in the early morning hours as she sat in a hospital bed and recounted everything to a police officer. Drug abuse, beatings. Eventually, it got so bad that she tried to kill herself with an overdose. She told her mom she didn't want to die by Leggett's hand, but felt like the only way out of this relationship would be if one of them was dead. She looked at it like, if I stay, I'm going to die. And if I leave, I'm taking a chance. And she took that chance because she couldn't be with him no more. WPLN and ProPublica requested an interview with Leggett through his lawyer and by sending him a letter in prison. He declined to comment on his pending case. And even with Leggett behind bars, Carter still did not feel safe. This is just a piece of paper. That's what she told them. She was holding up the paper that they gave her, and she was saying, this is just a piece of paper. This is just a piece of paper. He can shoot me through this piece of paper. That piece of paper was in her backpack on the day she was shot. Carter saw the police had already left when she ran outside to get in her friend's car. When she looked down the street, she realized it was too late. Leggett was walking toward the house with a gun in his hand. She called 911. The dispatcher started asking questions. How do you spell his name? How old is he? What does he look like? One minute into the call. Are you sending somebody? Did you ever just send somebody? Two minutes. Can you just send somebody? I have to ask these questions for police safety, okay? Three minutes into the call, and the dispatcher was still asking questions. Has anyone been drinking? Is he by himself? What was that address again? But before they're able to answer, Leggett broke down the door. There's a loud boom, 
the noise of her bedroom door being knocked off the hinges. Then a scream, the sharp pops of gunfire. In the background, Carter screamed in agony. She was shot twice. Ten minutes into the call, a paramedic arrived. It's getting hard to breathe. Then the call ended. A few days later, Carter died at the hospital. She was just hours away from turning 25. Life has been stagnant. Her sister, Keandria Jones. So I, I feel like every day is November 15th, 2021. Because it's hard to heal and move past, you know, something when we have you know, been failed so many times, and now we have to fight. Not just for Carter, but for other women living in fear. That story comes from WPLN criminal justice reporter Paige Flager, who is partnering this year with the nonprofit investigative journalism outlet ProPublica to examine gun dispossession in Tennessee. In Tennessee, Paige joins us in studio now. Paige, thanks for being here. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. All right, so tell us how you go about this really difficult work. Yeah, so we requested homicide data from MMPD, from Metro Nashville Police Department. We narrowed those down to domestic violence cases where the person was killed with a gun. And then we went through every single perpetrator um, and looked for documentation in criminal, civil, and general sessions court for any conviction that might have barred them from having a weapon at the time of the shooting. So those could be previous felony convictions, domestic violence misdemeanors, Or orders of protection. Sounds really painstaking. Yes. Is it even a longer version of this investigation online? Mm -hmm. In that, explain to us what were some of your findings. So, like I said in the story, Carter was one of at least 75 people killed in domestic violence shootings in Nashville since 2007. And we picked 2007 because that's when the police were most easily able to search their record system. Of those, we found that nearly 40% of victims were shot by people who were legally barred from having a gun at the time. One of the youngest victims was five years old. One of the oldest victims was 70. Some were shot during heated arguments and others were killed while they were playing in the snow. Most were prohibited by state law because of a prior felony conviction. So those ranged from drug charges to even previous homicides. In some cases, the person had already been charged once with unlawful possession of a gun. But despite being barred for a felony, what we found was that the law really doesn't spell out how to ensure that that person doesn't have access to a weapon. Now, you focused on Michaela Carter's case, but were there others that stuck out to you? Yeah. So unfortunately, what we found was that Michaela Carter's case is just one example of many. Uh, As I was combing through these records, it's so clear and so haunting that these victims see this violence coming. And they're alerting the court, they're alerting law enforcement, they're even alerting the probation department, and very little is being done to intervene and protect them. So one case that is particularly haunting to me is the case of 30-year-old Temptress Peebles. Her family called her Chippy. 
Um, she asked for an order of protection on October 10th, 2019. By October 17th, just seven days later, she was dead. Mm. And according to court records, the order that she sought out right before her death was actually the third that she had tried to get for against her ex-boyfriend, Brandon Horton, in the year leading up to her death. So in January... She told the court that he threatened to kill her rather than see her date somebody else. Six months later, she reported that he burst through her back door with a gun and pointed it at her. And then her final petition right before her death includes this statement um, that's just incredibly prescient. And she says, uh, Brandon has threatened to kill me before. He once said to me, since you put out all these warrants on me before they catch me, I'm going to kill you. I'm terrified that he's going to kill me. And one week later, he did in front of her eight-year-old daughter, according to police, with a gun that he wasn't supposed to have. So like in many cases, um, and James Leggett and Michaela Carter, Brandon Horton was barred for multiple different reasons, yet he was still able to have access to a gun and commit this homicide. Um, WPLN and ProPublica contacted Horton through his lawyer and by writing a letter to him in prison, but his lawyer said he declined to comment. He was charged with first-degree murder for the, the case, and he's not yet entered a plea, and his trial is forthcoming. You mentioned in the story that past laws have made it harder to track gun possession, and as we're looking to the Capitol for possible gun safety measures it could be help, helpful to look back. What has the Tennessee legislature historically done on guns? Yeah, so what we've seen in the past is that conservative lawmakers have largely loosened restrictions on guns instead of tightening them. So some examples, Tennessee, like more than half of the U.S., allows private sales without background checks, which opens the door for people prohibited from buying firearms to purchase them anyways. Um, the state also doesn't require a permit to carry as of 2021 and is one of only eight states that actually prohibit the creation of a gun re registration or a gun registry entirely. So law enforcement doesn't have a sense of how many guns or whether or not someone has guns in the first place. And as a result, with these crimes that I was examining it's it's even after the crime is committed, it's really rare to have a full understanding of where exactly that weapon came from. Mm. As your story points out, the entire system of gun dispossession has a connection to the upcoming special session, but it has become complicated. Clarify the relations for us. Yes. So Governor Bill Lee's original proposal was to essentially expand the system that I've been examining um, from domestic violence victims to other types of relationships. And his proposal actually still had this dangerous third party dispossession option in it where someone is ordered to give up their guns and they can give them to a friend or a relative. Um, so we're one of only a dozen states that has this option for gun dispossession. And Tennessee actually doesn't even have a space on the form that you have to turn in um, to identify who that party is. So mm. it's impossible for the courts to ensure that that person isn't prohibited or the to hold that person accountable if they give the gun back to the person it was taken from. Um, but the governor was unable to get a Republican sponsor for that proposal. Now, your reporting is far from finished and you're still teamed up with researchers and data journalists for, at ProPublica. Tell us what you still hope to learn. Yeah, so we're hoping to expand essentially this investigation that we did here in Nashville to the entire state to have a better idea of how often domestic violent gu violence gun homicides in Tennessee are committed with a weapon um, that the person was barred from having. 
uh, we're going to try and get that more com comprehensive idea. It, it might seem like a wild amount of work to come up with that statistic, but there's no agency that is tracking this problem, mm. you know, not the ATF, not the FBI, not the TBI. So it's difficult to fix a problem if you don't know the size or the scope of it. Well, even though agencies aren't tracking this problem, what can listeners be doing to you know take part in this reporting to help you your understanding of these dynamics and systems yeah so we're definitely looking to talk to more families like Michaela Carter's family so if you or somebody you know has been impacted by this issue uh, we want to hear from you you can contact me at page at wpln.org or we have a form at the bottom of the story on propublica.org Paige Flager is the criminal justice reporter for WPLN. You can find the link to her story along with ProPublica on this episode's web post at WPLN.org. Paige, thank you so much for this. Thanks for your hard work and reporting. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll get a preview of what to expect at the State House during next week's special legislative session. What do you want the General Assembly to accomplish during the special session? Let us know by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kalona, and this is Nashville. On Monday, August 21st, members of the General Assembly will convene to address public safety. The session was catalyzed by the mass shooting at the Covenant School in March. Governor Lee issued an official proclamation that sets the parameters for what the state legislators can propose. Addressing mental health and human trafficking are a part of the governor's directives, but nothing directly related to guns. So what can we expect during next week's session? Blaze Ganey is WPLN state political reporter, and he joins us now. State, Blaze, thanks for being here. Not a problem. So today we're looking at this ahead at the special session. But Blaze, tell us, practically speaking, what makes this such a special occurrence? Well, just to define what a special session is really quickly, the main thing is that it's hyper-focused on a specific issue, which the governor laid out in that proclamation. Uh, in the past, there's been one on COVID, education, and this time it happens to be on public safety. Um, and it takes the governor of the state to call one, which in this case, like I said, he called one just earlier this month. But we've, we've really known all summer long that this was coming. Okay, so how would you compare this to a normal session? Uh, much shorter. Uh, most sessions are, you know, weeks, months. Uh, this should be over in a week. Hmm. Um, the days are usually a lot longer. I, in, in my mind, I, I'm sort of preparing for like what would normally be the last week of session wrapped up all into one, only on one specific issue. And, you know, it'll be long days, I would imagine, because lawmakers um, not saying they don't want to spend more time in Nashville, but more so they're honed in on this one issue. It, and, it, and it helps when you're having a dialogue to be able to continue having it throughout the day. I remind listeners of how we got here. Well, back on March 27th, a person opened fire and killed three students and three staff members at Covenant School here in Nashville. That sparked outrage by parents and residents in the state who began to call on lawmakers who were in session at the time to shift their focus towards gun safety issues, some going as far as to call for an assault ban, uh, assault weapons ban. Obviously, that didn't happen. The governor, however, did uh, propose an ex extreme, an extreme risk protection order. That also didn't pass. And as soon as session adjourned uh, last April, 
the governor put out a tweet and message and everything saying, hey, lawmakers, don't get too comfortable back home. I want you back here before mm. the next general session starts to address these issues. All right. So a lot of eyes are going to be on the General Assembly. What sort of attention and scene are you expecting at the Capitol? You know, really, if you would have asked me that question like three days ago, I would have probably said it'll be busy, but I don't expect it to be anything like it was when, you know, we had some of those massive protests. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm seeing a lot more about special session. I've seen some uh, prayers uh, organized and, and rallies organized. And I'm actually sort of wondering exactly how big it'll be. I'm expecting there will be hundreds of people uh, out at the Capitol, similar to what we saw near the end of last session. What would you say is at stake for Tennesseans? For Tennesseans, I think what's at stake is obviously the safety of your kids while they're in schools. Um, that's what a lot of people are worried about. And uh, for those who are sort of worried more about what's going on with their guns, I think they kind of already got that answer. It's not much. Um, this special session is not going to really require them to get rid of any guns or change uh, how they keep their guns. There's no bills that really would penalize them for not keeping their guns out of, uh, you know, gun locks or gun safes. So for, for that group, that portion of people who uh, fall in line with that, I think they sort of can relax. And for those who wanted to see, uh, you know, maybe issues addressed on that front, uh, they, they probably aren't going to be too happy. Well, what's at stake for the governor and lawmakers? You know, for the governor, I think I think he, in some places, is going to get a lot of credit for still calling this special session. A lot of Republicans and a lot of groups uh, that are on the right were calling for him to just not even have this at all. Um, they, they thought it was pointless. They thought it was nothing that could be done in a condensed time that would really uh, allow for real change. Um, so I think he sort of maybe gets a little credit, but it still depends on what actually gets done. Um, I think he's sat the lawmakers here in Nashville to do the work. And if they do it, uh, I think then it'll shift towards lawmakers and people will be saying, why didn't you all finish the, the job? Well, tell us about the guardrails for this special session. We heard pages reporting on guns earlier, but what topics are allowed in next week? Yeah. So things like uh, mental health um, are, are allowed. So there's some reporting requirements for different uh, mental health care practitioners and uh, law enforcement as well as I think background checks will be another thing that we'll see come up. They want right now it takes uh, a long time for background checks to actually get reported up on through the system. So they want that to be done within, you know, two to three days. Um, there's also some gun safe bills. Uh, so get safe storage, which means like some tax free incentives, essentially, for if you're buying a gun safe you won't have to pay taxes on it and some other things that would allow people to get gun locks for free from the state. All right. Now, as we were getting ready to go on air, a whole slew of new bills were introduced, including proposals around extreme risk protection orders and gun dispossession. What's what stands out to you with these new bills? You know, I think what stands out is I, I wasn't sure a lot of these were necessarily in the call for special session. When I mentioned earlier that that proclamation the governor put out, it really didn't allow for direct change uh, around guns. And there's some things that I saw filed there that deal directly with, uh, you know, like ammunition and whatnot. And I don't, I'm not sure exactly how those are going to get filed if they are actually in the system. I haven't been able to check. 
But I think that's more so the thing. And and, and a lot of this, I believe, is um, sort of not going to say posturing, but they have to say these things and do these things in order to show people that they want these things done. And and, and by they, I mean the Democrats want these things done. So you're saying these are basically non-starters? Uh, I mean, yes, for sure. Um, I mean, red flag law was was in that, or ERPO, as we've been calling it. I've already heard that that is a non-starter. It will not happen this session. All right, so what are you expecting as we get into the week? Uh, I'm expecting a lot of protests, a lot of people to be outraged at the Capitol um, that exactly what I just said, ERPO is not even part of the discussion. Um, a lot of people will be upset that we're talking about blended sentences for juveniles when this crime, uh, at least the Covenant School shooting, was not committed by a juvenile. And I think a lot of people will also be upset with the mental health aspect because a lot of times what we see is that Republicans will, when crimes like this happen, they bring up mental health. And while that may be one of the causes, I think a lot of Democrats are saying, and a lot of people in Tennessee are saying, the real cause of this is the guns. If she had a handgun and went in there, it would not have been as much damage inflicted. And maybe, you know, this would have been thwarted all the way. But um, they refuse to bring up, you know, sponsor themselves or even uh, allow debate to be made on topics that are around uh, getting rid of certain styles of guns. Blaze Ganey covers state politics for WPLN. Blaze, thank you for this. Really appreciate it. Uh, not a problem. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with two members of the General Assembly about the special session, and we'll have them answer your questions. If you have a question for them, let us know by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The tragic mass shooting at the Covenant School shook the city and the state. Thousands of people, primarily the youth, blocked upon the General Assembly demanding that they make meaningful action on gun violence. Governor Bill Lee promised a special session that will address the people's concerns. On Monday, that special session will open. Earlier in the show, we heard about how our current gun laws have failed to protect victims of domestic violence in Tennessee and their families. So what are our state legislators planning to do during this special session? What bills will be proposed? What are the issues that will be dealt with? And will the demands of their constituents be answered? Joining me now are two members of the State House. I'd like to welcome Representative Mark Cochran, Republican of House District 23, and Representative Bob Freeman, Democrat of House District 56, to This is Nashville. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so, you know, we asked listeners to send us their questions and concerns for the special session. We'll be presenting those during this conversation. And there's still time for you listeners to send us your questions. You can tweet us at This Is Nashville or email us at thisisnashville at wpln.org. All right, now, you know, I want to hear what both of you really want to get out of this special session. What do you want to have accomplished when the session is over? Representative Cochran. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. And again, appreciate you having me uh, on the program today. I think, uh, you know, I think what, when when lawmakers went uh, went home during the summer and spoke to constituents, I think the the message that 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 we heard was that look, we we want to separate dangerous people 
um, from from society. We want to make sure that dangerous people uh, aren't harming Tennesseans. We also want to ensure that constitutional liberties uh, for law-abiding citizens are protected. Um, that was um, the overwhelming message that I received from from the people that I represent. And so I think that you will see measures passed next week that reflect that. Uh, measures that that strengthen our criminal code, that strengthen enforcement uh, on people who break the law, um, again, while protecting those constitutional liberties for law-abiding citizens. Representative Freeman, what do you want to see happen at the end of next week? Thank you. Um, yeah, and, and uh, Representative Cochran, thanks for those comments. And, you know, I, I guess I'm hearing something totally different. I'm hearing uh, from my constituents and um, and the thousands of people that were at the Capitol that they want meaningful gun safety legislation now. They wanted us to do it before we left the session. Uh, and, you know, since April 21st, when we left, there's been 470 shootings in Tennessee. Um, you know, 24 children have been killed. There have been 262 suicides. We have tried uh, the expansion of guns. We've tried giving everybody a gun. We've tried expanding where you can carry guns. We've, we've, we have done everything we can to remove any reasonable gun safety laws. And this is what we've ended up with. Uh, you know, the, the way we're going isn't working. And, and I think the first step is uh, we need some courage uh, out of some of my colleagues to educate their constituents on exactly what we're talking about. You know, an ERPO law, um, I don't believe is unconstitutional. I think that if someone is in crisis, that they should be able to, uh, you know, in a, in a temporary setting, uh, have their firearms removed from them. It would, it would decrease the number of suicides. Uh, it would decrease the number of mass shootings. And, uh, you know, we, we just heard a, a, a piece before this. Uh, people know there are signs and signals before. We've got to, you know, unhandcuff our police and allow them to act. What I'm curious about is if this special session was called by Governor Lee due to the tragic shooting at the Covenant School, why isn't reducing gun violence and gun safety measures, why isn't that a part of this special session? Representative Freeman. I mean, again, it's uh, it's it's courage. You have you have a, a a meaningful percent of our elected officials that know that if they step out and start talking about gun safety, they start talking about you know restricting access to firearms, restricting access of who can carry them. They won't be they won't get reelected. And you know the the sad part of it is is that that's more important to them is getting reelected. Uh, than it is doing what's right and, and potentially saving the lives of Tennesseans. Representative Cochran? Sure. And, you know, I, mean, I, I guess earlier it was mentioned about the, you know, the um, effectiveness of red flag laws. And as we look at those that have been that have been implemented across the country, we don't really see that effectiveness. There have been studies by the Duke Center, the Social Science Research Network, both. They, they looked at uh at at states that implemented these 10 years before implementation and 10 years after neither total homicide nor total suicide rates were significantly affected um you know a, again the uh social science research network did it did a similar study showing uh that red flag laws had no significant effect on murder suicide or the number of people killed in mass shootings robbery aggravated assault so to 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 act as if that is um the solution, uh, I, I, I don't believe that it is. Um, again, I believe enforcing the law, making sure that 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 criminals uh, face very stiff penalties for the for the for the crimes they commit. That that's very big. 
Um, and you know, we, the, the, the shooting at Covenant was, was tragic. And, and certainly we want to make sure that our, that our students are safe, um, and, and that our children are safe. And, and, but it's not just about the students while they're at school. It, it's while they're, you know, while they're walking home from, uh, while they're walking home from school, going to work, whatever. And again, we, we want to make sure that that criminals are held responsible. Okay. Um, all right. I, I, do, yeah. I do want us to get to a question from the listeners. We have a question here from Nashville 11th grader Isabella Alvarez. Let's listen. My question regards the protection of assault rifles by Republicans mentioning the Second Amendment, regardless of the data that shows it's created a public health crisis. At what point do they draw the line, such as owning other military weapons like tanks, nukes and missiles? If And if we allow those military grade weapons protected under an unchangeable amendment, why is it that the 14th Amendment can be infringed upon and ultimately ignored in rulings of trigger laws in Tennessee? Representative Cochran, what's your response to Isabella's question? Sure. And, and, and I certainly appreciate the question. Um, yeah, I, I think we oftentimes we, we repeat this um, information about an AR-15. That it, and, and I think that we put the perception out that an AR-15 is an automatic rifle. It is not. Um, it operates the, the same as uh, as a hunting rifle, um, and so it's it's not this fully automatic. Uh, you know, I think that we call it a, a you know sometimes it's referred to as a weapon of war. Um, so I just think I think that's important to clarify that that's not a that that's not a fully automatic weapon, um, but that the people of Tennessee that the Second Amendment is extremely important to those people, um, and they they. They vote overwhelmingly to to ensure that their constitutional right to carry a firearm is protected. And if you are a law abiding citizen in this state, it should be protected. If you're a felon, um, again, or a criminal, or someone who has um, who is has mental issues, certainly that's a conversation we need to have. We need to make sure that guns are not in, in the hands of those who are dangerous, those who uh, who can harm Tennesseans. But but law-abiding citizens, their right to bear arms should be protected, um, and they've they've made that very clear. I think um, at the ballot box, time and time again. Representative Freeman. Yeah, I mean, you can hear the answer. It's clear there there is no line. Uh, it's it's going to continue to be a public health crisis with no meaningful solutions uh, and 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 you know no direction. Um, you know the the idea. You keep hearing the that you know punishments work. Punishments work. If that was really believed, um, why do, can we not punish people for not storing their firearms effectively? It's specifically in the governor's call. Uh, it, it's it's such a a mixed uh, debated issue that that you know it's some things need to be enforced, others don't. And um, quite frankly, until there's a change in the thought on this, uh, there's not going to be a change in policy. Over and over again. Uh, you, you ask Tennesseans, 80% of Tennesseans want some sort of gun safety legislation. Um, we are allowing a minority of our state to drive public safety and public policy, and it's, it's not right. All right. We have a question about mental health and bills regarding the juvenile justice system from Theda Murphy, an organizer with Nashville Community Crisis Response. Here it is. My concern about the special session is that the bills being proposed are doubling down on harsh punishments that criminalize mental illness and mental health treatment. And I'm really concerned about how the proposed juvenile justice bills will punish children who need care and safety, kids who never had a chance. 
Now any opportunity for them to get a second chance is being taken away. Is it really a good idea for kids to be raised by the state in prison? Is that really a future we want for Tennessee? Now, Representative Freeman, to Theta's questions, what bills have been proposed in the special session that address mental health care? Um, well, I, I'm going to address the criminalization piece first, if you don't mind. Uh, there have been multiple bills that are um, allowing for juveniles to be uh, treated and charged as, as adults. Um, we're talking about blended sentencing. We're talking about transfer. And... Um, you know, the, the reason that we, we have uh, a juvenile um, justice system is because juveniles don't have the mental capacity in many cases to understand the consequences of their actions. Uh, and for us to just charge them as adults and, and throw them into an adult prison, um, I, I just I can't accept that that's the solution. Um, the, uh, the second question on the mental health, um, we've talked about expanding um, uh, uh, expanding resources, dollars for mental health care. Uh, we've talked about changing some of the um, the policies of who can be in what facilities and how many people can be in a facility and hope to expand uh, access. And then we've talked about uh, coming up with some sort of an incentive program, uh, as we did for teachers many years ago, to encourage Tennesseans to get their psychology and psychiatry degrees and then stay and serve uh, here in Tennessee. Um, and, and all of those things are great. But, you know, if we're talking about dealing with suicide, I think this is this is going to help. But the large majority of people per, uh, uh, um, committing these mass murders um, have no history of, of mental health issues. Uh, they have no psychoses. They, they are um, they are unknown. And I'm not sure how that's going to help it. Uh, the, the real issue, again, is unfettered access to guns anywhere, anytime. We make it too easy. And we've got to address that before we um, can address anything else. Where we're never going to solve the problem. Representative Cochran, what's your stance? Sure. Yeah. And and I believe one of the bills that she's referring to um, is is probably uh, the, the one that talks specifically about um about burglary of, of a firearm, allowing that to be one of the crimes that can be transferred to adult court. And the, the fact is, in, in urban areas, typically what you see with gang activity is that they use young people, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, to, to do the smashing grabs that we hear of, right, where, where they're using them to break into vehicles, steal firearms, because they know that there's not a long-term consequence for them. That they know that not only will would they not be incarcerated for long, it it actually in many cases right now disappears from their record as an 18 year old, and so what what the bill I believe the, um, uh, the caller was was likely referencing what what this does is ensure that that does remain on their record and that there is a there is potential where there is a longer consequence than just a couple years, um, and, and a, a, again where that stays. You have the opportunity to expunge that um, after a certain period of time uh, if you have been reformed, but nothing magically changes when when you're 18. So you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to steal a firearm at 16 and then go out and legally purchase one at 18. Um, and so so, yeah, I think we, we want to stem that and show that there are consequences and, and young people need to learn at a young age that there, is, there are consequences to breaking the law. And, and so I think that's why that that proposed bill is a strong one. OK, um... Urban area, rural area, a kid stealing a gun is a kid stealing a gun. I think people want to understand how that helps to reduce 
gun violence and increase public safety. But if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kali Olekolona. We're talking this hour about next week's special legislative session with State Representatives Mark Cochran, a Republican from Inglewood, and Bob Freeman, a Democrat from Nashville. You can send us your questions for the representatives. You can do that by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. Now, here's a message we received from Jason Sparks, who is a former guest of the show. Over the last 13 years, we've seen a steady erosion of common sense gun laws in Tennessee. The number one cause of death for children in Tennessee has become firearm deaths in that time, and we're 36% ahead of the national average. In 2020, the permitless carry bill was passed against the will of all major law enforcement organizations in the state and majority of the citizens, including gun owners. In 2013, the guns and trunks law was passed. We now have four of the top 15 cities in the country in weapons being stolen from cars. And we lead the nation in road rage murders. I know that because in 2016, my little brother was shot to death in an unsolved road murder right around the corner from this studio. So my question is, if we're ignoring data, the experts, and the will of the people, when will you take actions to make my children safer in this state and stop prioritizing a hobby that has taken away the rights of the people to expect public safety? Now, Jason is talking about the relaxing of gun laws and regulations that and the impact that those moves have made. So, you know, how have the steps taken made the people of Tennessee safer? Representative Cochran. Yeah. And so I, I think I think specifically, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the safety uh, the safety of our children and, and, you know, what, what has Tennessee done? I think that question was asked earlier, um, which, you know, $750 million that we've invested since 2018 to, to harden security at security at schools, uh, to ensure that, that schools have, have armed school resource officers, um, which by the way, multiple, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about polling data, um, you know, 84% of Tennessee voters, you know, 80 percent in, in a Vanderbilt poll uh, in April said that that was the main thing that they, they felt that that was the main priority um, to ensure that their students were safe. Seventy seven percent in a recent coefficient poll echoed that. And, and so I believe, we, again, we, not only are we listening to the people of Tennessee, we are we are implementing the measures that they believe work. Um, and again, doing that while also protecting a Second Amendment liberty. Um, gun ownership, you know, with all due respect, is far more than a hobby. Um, it, it is a constitutionally protected liberty for a reason. Um, and, it, and it is because the, the founders knew that that was an essential, that, that was an essential liberty for, for individual citizens to have to be a check on government power. And that's, uh, while, while that may be unpopular in, in some circles, that that is very clear and defined history, and so it it is far more than a hobby. It is it is a critical rot in this nation, um, but we are committed to to holding criminals responsible. But we 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 swear an oath to uphold the Constitution, and, and the Second Amendment is pretty clearly defined in the Constitution. And I think there's a debate as to what the actual Second Amendment means, but I'm going to give Representative Freeman your response. Yeah, um, and and that you know I, I remember that uh, that shooting, and and I'm sorry uh, that that you're having to again deal with 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 more of an erosion on gun safety. I mean, since 2011. Um, uh, we've seen an increase in overall firearm fatalities for children increase 180 percent. Um, we've seen uh, homicides increase 120 um, percent. 
you know, the, the, the idea that this is, this is working is laughable. It, it's, it's clearly not working. More people are dying. More people are getting shot. More guns are being stolen and used in crimes. Um, and, and, you know, to the, to the point he made about uh, we're increasing the SRO officers, um, he himself said a second ago, it's not just about at schools. It's about walking to school. It's about at the mall. It's about at the grocery store. And are we going to start requiring armed guards everywhere we go? Is that the, is that the direction that we want to go? And, and the Second Amendment, the, the first part of it is a well-regulated militia. The intent, if you read contemporaneous writings, the intent of it was they didn't want to have a standing army. It wasn't so that they could stand up against the army. Um, it's, it's laughable to think that, that, that we could, uh, you know, defend ourselves against the U.S. military with, you know, our, our, our handguns. Um, it, it's anyway, it's, it's a, it's a dead argument. All right. I have, we only have a couple minutes left and I do have two more questions that I desperately want to get to from people. This first one is from Chloe Spangler. She's a senior at McGavick High. She sent us this question about school safety. After the Covenant shooting, many teachers and students tried to make schools a safer place, but there's only so much that we can do. As lawmakers, you hold the most power when it comes to gun control issues. So my question for you is, what are you trying to do for your constituents as a representative to make schools a safer place? All right. The young ones, they showed up and forced at the Capitol after the Covenant shooting. They walked out of schools to protest and to demand this tighter gun legislation. I'd love for each of you to briefly answer Chloe's question. What are you doing to make schools safer? Representative Freeman. Thank you. And that's the number one question I get asked when I talk to school groups. It's on it's front of mind for all of these these kids up and down um, and across our state. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, um, uh, rep, um, sorry, filed an extreme risk protection order uh, bill. Um, I'd like to revoke the permitless carry. Um, I'd like us to see uh, some sort of restriction on assault weapons. Uh, and um, and make sure that our guns are safer. You know, kids are more likely to shoot a friend um, from a gun that they steal from their home than somebody is likely to shoot an intruder with that gun. And uh, so we need to make sure that people are locking them up. And and clearly, uh, my colleague on the other side of the aisle understands that that harsher penalties matter. We need to allow for harsher penalties on it. Representative Cochran, briefly. Sure. And um, I would refer back to I know we, we, we talked about this earlier, but the, the direct question was, what are we doing to keep our schools safer? Again, seven hundred and fifty million dollars since 2018. This and then in this last fiscal year alone uh, allocated two hundred and twenty three million dollars. Uh, and that was uh, directly to, to pay for to pay for armed school resource officers. And and time and time again, we see that those who 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 plan an, an act of mass violence go for soft targets where they know that they are not going to meet immediate armed resistance. And so we, we, we made sure that every school in Tennessee would not be a soft target. All right. Now we have another question on gun legislation from ten year, a 10 year old who lost two friends in the covenant shooting. Let's listen. Hi, my name is Lola Buckley. I live in Nashville. And my question is, why are people allowed to carry guns when they don't even have a license? Representatives, when you hear that child's voice, her question is simple, but it gets to something very, very crucial. Tennesseans, um, Tennessee enacted permitless carry two years ago. So why allow people to carry weapons without a permit when you can't even drive a car or go fishing without a license? Representative Cochran, you first, please. 
Sure. Um, and, and again, obviously, I uh, the the. the the events at Covenant were were were, were tragic, and I can't imagine, um, you know, the, the pain and what the students experienced, what those who worked there experienced, uh, and so my heart certainly goes out to them. Um, and the question, again, comes down to to, to law-abiding citizens versus criminals. Um, a a law-abiding citizen, that that those who have not committed a crime, I believe, and I believe most Tennesseans also. Uh, would reinforce that they that they have a constitutional right to bear arms. If you are a criminal, um, have, again, sent someone who has committed a violent act, a felon, you, you lose that right. Uh, there are consequences to committing crime, um, and, and which is why the, the the law should be enforced, um, and why, why why it's critical uh, that that uh, that those who break the law are held responsible. But again, those law-abiding citizens. Um, who are, make up the overwhelming majority of Tennesseans, those law-abiding citizens have a constitutional right. Uh, the same, same way as you have a freedom of speech, you have a freedom, uh, you have a right uh, to bear arms in this country. And our All founders right. felt like that was good. Representative Freeman, we only have a few seconds left. Yeah, I mean, I, I clearly think it's, it's, a, it's a bad idea. It was, uh, it was a bad idea at inception. Uh, the reality of how it's working is a bad idea. Um, we we are, are allowing people to carry firearms uh, in public with zero training. We don't know if they know how to handle it, load it, if it's safe. People are leaving them in bathrooms. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's adding to the public health crisis that we're seeing with firearms. And it's created a situation in which Tennesseans, uh, children in Tennessee, the number one killer are firearms right now. I want to thank my guests, Representative Mark Cochran, Republican of House District 23, and Representative Bob Freeman, Democrat of House District 56, for coming onto the show and answering the people's questions. Gentlemen, again, thanks to you both. Thanks. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Elizabeth Burton handled today's live tweeting. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you on Monday, everybody, and be good to each other.